G'day patrons and welcome once again to Two Jacks featuring Jack the Insider. That's me and Hong Kong Jack. How are you today, Jack? Excellent, excellent. Good to hear from you. Uh, very good to hear from you too. And today we want to kick off with a with a with a chat about COVID and uh, the swing in the narrative. Zero COVID is all over, or is it? And uh, and lockdowns are on the way out. Well, we certainly hope so. What's the view in Hong Kong, Jack? Well, well we're, we're still very much in the zero COVID zone and, and we will be for a year, I think. Um, but, and we have no local cases, basically, because of that. But that is damaging um, uh, the business community here because it's very hard to get in and out and people are starting to leave. So it's, it's a, you know, some people think it's a success and some people don't. What I've noticed over the last week is, a, is something on Twitter, which is a... A, a new position, really, or it, it seemed, I thought, was a new position, but people who were saying, well, look, I'm pro-vaccine, but I'm anti-vaccine mandate, and I'm anti-vaccine passports, and I'm mask-sceptical, and I think I'm in a, in a small minority. And then everyone piles back in and says, nope, that's what I am as well. And it seems to be the new popular position. So people are happy to get vaccinated themselves, but don't want to tell anybody else what to do. Yeah, look, I just wrote a column uh, for The Australian, um, just published on Christmas Eve, and in that I talk about countries like Australia with high uh, rates of vaccination. But really, there's been a, the creation of a compact between the people and the state, and the people have said, well, we'll take the risk on vaccination, and there is a very small risk, but it is risk nevertheless, nevertheless. And we will vaccinate in big numbers, and that gives us the right to basically determine our own futures and how we want to respond to the the changes to the you know the the, the, the Omicron variation uh, or variant, I should say, uh, coming through. So uh, you know, th- this is the this is the big thing for me that that you know we can talk about mask mandates and New South Wales took them away. And then put them back in, which all seem to be really just you know um, uh, ugly sort of politics. Um, but really, while the mandates were gone, most people were masking up anyway. Most people made the choice. You see, that's the thing. We want to give people the information so they can do their own risk assessment according to their own circumstances, and then they can make their own choices. Well, certainly here the masks thing happened because people did it themselves and long before there was a government mandate, you couldn't get onto a bus here or onto a train without a mask on. And this this wasn't a question of the law. The bus driver wouldn't let you on. This was just people making individual choices and and people didn't want you in their shop without a mask on before yep. the mask mandate came out. So this has been largely... I mean, the government's always been behind the ball here. This has largely yeah, been driven by here. the local mm. population. Yeah, same here. And and, and and so, you know, pubs and clubs and things, that they can continue to ask for proof of vaccination, mm. you know. And I, and I got no problem with that. I mean, if, if they've risk assessed their business around that, uh, that they really want people who are... Uh, fully vaccinated or doubly vaxxed or triple vaxxed, uh, then they can make their own decisions and they have to live with the commercial consequences of those decisions. Um, yeah. Yeah, the- and, and that's just the way it's going to go. So so really, 
I, I maintain the argument that the countries with high rates of vaccination, uh, therein lies the proof that people have an awareness of the risk and, and given the right information from the right sources, uh, they will continue to make those risk assessments and choose wisely. I mean, having said that, you know that some people will always make bad choices and some people might make bad choices every now and then. That's just the way, that's just the way society works, complex societies work. And, 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 and people, uh, people who continue to make good choices, they're entitled to give those people a swerve. They are. Yeah, you're more, you're more in touch with what's happening in Australia than I am, but I can tell you that in the UK and the US, I think my assessment is that there is no appetite for um, heavy restrictions any longer. You know, it seems to have gone away. You know, the- there is that sense here, which means, you know, potentially... Uh, much of the world is, is is due to you know with with Christmas, <laughs> with Christmas dinners and, and and family gatherings and all those sorts of things, you know there, there is a likelihood of super spreader events. Um, the prevailing data indicates that uh, Omicron is uh, <clears throat> far more infe- infectious and transmissible, but that sort of rule of viral behaviour is that the more transmissible you you get, then uh, the less lethal uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the viral infection will be. Now, it's early days, but those are those are that's the way that the data seems to be trending. There are some really con- uh, big concerns around that. You've got uh, the South African data, for example, indicates that children under the age of two made up ten percent of hospitalisations. And that's in a country with very low vaccination rates, but that won't really matter with children under the age of two. They're not going to be vaccinated for COVID. So, so those those are main those are those are some some big issues for for all of us going forward. Obviously, the most vulnerable people in our society are the very very young, and we need to look after them. The, uh, the numbers from the UK, I just had a look, had a look early this morning and I think it's around 100,000 a, a day yeah. um, of the Omicron um, uh, infections. But their ICU and hospitalisation rates seem to be holding up pretty pretty well. Yeah. I mean, look, again, we get back to the grave fear being that uh, public health systems are overwhelmed. Will collapse. Cope yeah. And, you know, you've got people being triaged in car parks. But... Uh, it doesn't seem to be going that way. I mean, it, it's completely overwhelmed Delta in the United States. It took a week, just seven days, to become the prevailing variant in, in the United States. It's extraordinary, the transition. This is the history of, of these sort of pandemics, though. This is what happened. It's, in the end, they peter out because a variant that's very transmissible but low in lethality um, uh, takes over. Yeah, you, that, that, you, that you have <coughs> wide, widespread uh, transmission and infection uh, and, and that's where you get to herd immunity. Or to a yes. point, yeah, to a very, that's, to a very that's, that's I think that's my reading of it is that's the history of the Spanish flu. Uh, pretty much, it just petered out. I mean, it did. It, it's not gone as long as COVID. It was far more lethal, of, uh, uh, of course, but um, it and, uh, and, and far more lethal to the young. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it, it, it wiped out. You know, it's still some 
probably probably around a hundred million people. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, it did just sort of it did just sort of dwindle. Um, it was it was kicked along too by um, uh, more travel around, uh, more global travel than had been the case in history by returning servicemen going home to places yeah. like Australia and Africa and and uh, the United States and going back to Asia and places like that, and that's why it spread so quickly. Um, but really, it was all done and dusted within about well less than two years. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> the little information we have is that uh, you know in, in modern in contemporary terms of uh, modern medicine is that uh, is that uh, pandemics will last about three years. Mm. So hopefully. So, so, so do you think there's any appetite in Australia for lockdowns? And no, again? none whatsoever. And and if we did have lockdowns, it would be one a serious breach of faith on that sort of compact that I talk about talked about before mm. with people uh, uh, receiving their vaccines in big numbers. It would be a serious breach of faith, and there would be um, great unrest, great unrest around it. I mean, I don't like much of these sort of anti-lockdown protesters, but I might be inclined to join them if there was another lockdown. I, I noticed on Twitter last night and this morning there's still uh, a rump of um, uh, of people who were very, very keen to have the government tell them what to do. Yeah, look, it, it's it's look, it's it's complicated, isn't it? And, uh, what we do have, I suppose, in this case is that people are pretty panicky about this about this variant uh, we don't have a lot of data in at the moment so for example if you wanted to think about what long COVID implications might be with with omicron there is no data i mean there's just nothing so you so people have been living in you know a, a protracted period of anxiety and then this you, new variant comes you, along you, you can't have you can't have got long COVID from Omicron because it's, it's only about a month old. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, 